You're listening to the New Gen Sermon Podcast. And the title of the message this morning is Laying the Foundation of Christ. Hebrews chapter 6, 1 to 3 says this, and I'm reading from the NLT version. It says, so let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. And let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds, uh, placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And so, God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. Last week I just preached on verse 1, and um, I preached on aiming for maturity. And verse 1 says, let us go on and become mature. Essentially, that's what it says. And um, this is the fifth let us passage in the book of Hebrews. There's 12 in in total. This is the fifth one. And it's important to see that they're actually a corporate let us. It's not an individual, let me go on to maturity. It's let us go on to maturity. So in essence, what Hebrews is saying is, let's encourage each other. Let's, let's walk together. Let's, let's grow together. Let's go on to maturity together. Let's warn each other that we might fail to, or we might fall short of some of the promises of God. There's a There's a corporate thinking here. It's not an individual thinking. And so chapter 4 has the first four of these letter statements. And they are, the first one is let us fear, 4 verse 1. Fear that we might fail to enter God's rest. And I had to ask myself, is this something I'm really concerned about? You know, I did preach on entering God's rest and what it means. But entering into all the promises and the fullness of life that God has for me. Is this something that I am that concerned about that I literally fear that I might fail to enter into all the promises that God has for me? Or is it just, ah, if I don't get all the promises, so what? I get to heaven. Hebrews says, let us fear that we might fail to enter God's rest. The second one is, let us be diligent, 4 verse 11. Third one, let us hold fast to our confession, 4 verse 14. The fourth one, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Let's do that together. 4 verse 16. And then the last one, or the fifth one, let us press on to maturity or perfection. 6 verse 1. Let's do that together. But this morning I'm going to look at the next three sentences after that uh, call to maturity. And essentially... It summarizes the foundation of Christ. That's really what's going on here. Let's move on from the basic teachings, which is the foundation of Christ, and let's go on to maturity. But, it, but the important thing is, first of all, we've got to lay the foundation. We can't go on to maturity if there's no foundation laid. If you try and build a house with no foundation, it might look good to begin with, but after a, a bad storm like we had uh, two days ago, You won't have a house left. (laughs) And so it's very important that we lay the foundation of Christ first and then go on uh, to maturity. 
In fact, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 11 that we can lay no other foundation other than that of Jesus. There's no other foundation that we can lay in our lives. If we want to go on to maturity, that's the foundation that we have to have in our lives. And here in Hebrews, we have this expanded view of what this foundation looks like. Repentance from dead works. In the NLT, it says repentance from evil deeds, but you'll see there's a little asterisk next to it. And at the bottom of the page, you'll see in the Greek, it says dead works. So they're just trying to make it easier for people to understand. People understand evil deeds. They've got no idea what dead works are. And that's why the NLT has written that. So repentance from dead works. Faith in God, baptisms, plural, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, number six. See, it starts with someone being saved here on earth in time, and it goes all the way through, past the grave, into eternity. That's the, the work that Jesus does in our lives, the salvation that he gives. It's not just some past event that took place, in my instance, 28 years ago. Praise the Lord, I got saved. Jesus is still working in my life, and he will continue to work in my life, even on the day that I drop dead and I go into the grave, and beyond the grave, in the realm of eternity, beyond time, the salvation that Jesus offers still works then. It's not just some past event. It's it's then, now, and future. It's a journey that we go on. Now, I've preached through all these foundations, I think about three years ago, and I did a 10-part series, and I covered all of them in detail. So I'm not going to do that again. Otherwise, we'll never get through Hebrews. But what I feel this morning to do is just to briefly go through all six of these, just make a few comments on each of them. And as I go through... I'm really praying that the Holy Spirit will speak to all of us and maybe put his finger on an area and say, that there is weak. That part of your foundation is weak or it's missing. And God wants to strengthen it. He wants to put it in place so that we can go on, so that we can build, so that we can move on with the Lord and not have this broken area of foundation that every time we put weight on it, it just collapses. See, the reason you lay a foundation is, first of all, to build something new, but you also lay a foundation when you're extending a home. You lay a foundation when you're going to add another story. You strengthen the foundation so that you can add a second level onto the home. You add a bit of foundation when you're going to add another room. Or you lay a totally new foundation when you're going to do a new build. So wherever you're at in your walk with God, there's, God wants to do a work on our foundations this morning. So the first one, repentance from dead works. When someone is on the verge of being born again, the first step that they take is the step of repentance. When we come to Jesus, that's the first step thing we do is we repent from dead works. There's no such thing as being born in a Christian family, therefore I'm a Christian. We have to come before God and say, Lord, I recognize that I'm a sinner and I'm repenting from trying to do anything to earn righteousness with you. Jesus said over and over, repent 
and believe. Repent and believe. Repentance always comes before faith. It's never the other way around. It's repent and believe. Amen? And so the unbeliever stands before the cross and has a revelation of his or her sin. They see that they're a sinner before God and that nothing they try and do can, can balance the scales. Nothing they try and do can wash the stain of sin from their lives. They can do as many good works as they want, but they look at themselves and they go, I've still got a sin problem. And so all the trying in the world, that's what we have to repent of. We have to come to God and say, Lord, I'm, I'm absolutely in trouble and I am in a hopeless, helpless situation. I need you. I need your grace. I need your mercy. I need your forgiveness. Because it's no matter what I try, I cannot clean the sin off of my hands. And so they throw themselves down at the foot of the cross and repent. Repenting of trying to earn their own righteousness. Repentance means to change our thinking and to change our direction. It's not just having a good intention. It's actually changing our direction as well. And let me just say that we never graduate from repenting. It's not like, hey, I repented. when I, It's every day I repent. <laughs> because every day I turn to God. That's what repentance is. And it's not just, oh, when I've done major sins or something like that. It's every day I turn to God. The Bible says the universal sin that every single person has done, no matter how good they think they are, even if they go, I've obeyed all the Ten Commandments. I've never done anything wrong. The universal sin of humanity is we all like sheep have gone astray each to our own way. Every single one of us has committed that sin and we probably commit that sin every day. <laughs> we get up in the morning and we want to go our own way. We don't want to pray. We don't want to spend time with God. Some days we do and some days we don't. <laughs> so we repent. We turn to God. We never graduate from that. Jesus said to the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2, verse 4 to 5, He says, I know everything you're doing. You guys are pumping as a church. But I have this one complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. You think you're doing great. You've actually fallen miles just by not loving God. Turn back to me. That's repent. And do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. And this, this is not to new believers. This is to an established church. A church that saw miracles. A church that saw their city changed. Ephesus. I mean, some historians think it could have been 100,000 people kind of thing. Massive. Burning all their scrolls of spells and, you know... Such an impact on the city that the, the, the idol makers were going out of business. Now, for us to see that kind of impact in Melbourne, you've got to see a serious number of people saved. It's not just 100 people. We're talking about thousands and thousands. And Jesus says to that church, you need to repent. Second thing is faith in God. The Christian life is a life of faith. And I wonder if we really understand what that means. 
The Christian life is a life of faith. The Bible says the just or the righteous will live by faith. That's Romans 1.17. The just will live by faith. Think about that. Am I living by faith? Everything that I do is by faith. Do I work by faith? Do I sleep by faith? Do I eat by faith? <laughs> you might think, Russ, what are you talking about, eating by faith? I mean, now you're getting crazy here. Romans 14, 20 to 23. I'll just read it to you. There was a problem in the church where there was an argument about what people are eating. And essentially, Paul says to the church in Rome, he says, look, everything you do should be by faith. So don't worry about what one guy, one guy eats by faith, one guy doesn't eat by faith. The important thing is whatever you do, you're doing by faith. He says, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. So it's good. Not to eat meat or drink or, uh, or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. If you're doing something that's causing your brother to stumble, just stop it. The faith that you have, keep it between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves, but whoever doubts is condemned if he eats. In other words, if you eat in unbelief, you're condemned. Wow, God. Don't know about you, but this is like, this just hit me when I read it. Because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Ooh. Everything we do outside of faith is sin. Gee, I need to go back to point one again. Now, really, now I need to repent. <laughs> Faith, the Christian life, is a life of faith in God. Everything we do, just totally dependent on the Lord. All right, let's move on quickly. Baptisms. Now that we're saved, it's the will of God for us to be baptized. Plural, in water and in the Holy Spirit. It's God's will for every believer to be baptized in water, to be immersed. The word baptized means immersed. doesn't mean sprinkled. It means going down under, drowned, dunked. <laughs> you know what I mean? Immersed in water and immersed in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> See, baptism in water is a burial of your old life. That's why you have to be born again before you can be baptized. Otherwise, you've got nothing to bury. You haven't got an old life to bury if you've never got saved. So baptizing... People that aren't saved is just getting them wet. There's no burying of anything because they don't have anything to bury. You can't bury people unless they've died. Amen. When people die, you have to bury them. You can't just leave bodies around. Amen. And that's baptism. When you have been crucified with Christ, you've died. Your old man, not your dad, your old nature, your old sinful nature is dead and then you bury it in baptism. <laughs> and not only that, but we're identifying ourselves with Jesus, with his death, his burial and his resurrection. 
So we die. We go down into a watery grave and we're raised again to new life. You don't raise yourself. Someone else does. <laughs> That's resurrection. And one day we will go down into the grave. Every single one of us will face death. And we'll go down in death. And we will be trusting that God will raise us from the dead. We're not going to raise ourselves, but God is going to raise us. But something very powerful happens when, when we are baptized. It's not just symbolic. There's a spiritual breakthrough that comes with baptism. And if you look at the story of Exodus, with the Israelites leaving Egypt, the, the Israelites were saved from Egypt by the blood of the Lamb. But they were separated from Egypt through baptism, through the Red Sea, through going through those waters. And the Egyptian army was annihilated in that sea. And so there's a separation. It's not that they didn't have any more enemies to face in, the, in, in uh, Canaan or in the desert where they traveled. They did, but Egypt was gone. There was no more attacks from Egypt. And there's something very powerful that happens with water baptism. It's not just symbolic. In fact, in some of the nations that we go into uh, in, the, uh, in the East, uh, Cambodia, Thailand, that kind of thing, where there's predominantly it's Buddhism, a lot of the families, they don't mind if their kids get saved and start going to church, but the minute they want to get water baptized, they're kicked out of the family. And you think, it's just water baptism. No, it's powerful. It's significant. <laughs> Not only does God want us to be baptized in water, but he wants us to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. See, even after the disciples were saved by Jesus, Jesus Jesus spoke to them and he said, receive the Spirit, and he breathed on them. I believe that's the moment of their salvation. But after that, he said, wait in Jerusalem. Wait for the outpouring. Wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit, and you will receive power to be my witness. So it wasn't wait for the Holy Spirit to be saved. It's you're already saved, but you need power. Don't go out. Don't try and fulfill the Great Commission. Don't try and save all the lost. Wait for power. And then when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will do all these amazing things. So there's a difference between the in-breathed Holy Spirit and the outpoured Holy Spirit. And it's the same thing. With baptism, you already need to be saved. You already have righteousness. But when you are baptized, there's a fullness that you are baptized into. Jesus said, I need to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And when you, when you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, you already have the Holy Spirit, but there's a fullness that you don't have, that you get immersed into. It's the same for both. That's baptism. Has that happened in your life? This is part of the foundation that you're standing on. Because the next one is the laying on of hands. This is part of the work. You might be thinking, what on earth? The laying on of hands. That's got nothing to do with salvation or the foundation of Christ. The laying on of hands. How can that be? But it's God's way of transmitting blessing, power, 
authority, commissioning into ministry. If it wasn't for the laying on of hands, we would never church. Because once all those early apostles died, that would be the end of the church. We'd have no more leadership. But they laid hands on the next generation of leaders and it's been going on and on and on all the way till today. When we release people into leadership, we lay hands on them because it's biblical and it's the way that people are commissioned into ministry. But not only that, every believer, this is a scripture for every single one of us, Mark chapter 16, verse 17 and 18. It lists the signs of, that will accompany those who believe. It says, these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety. And if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. And they will be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. That's to all of us. That's to any believer. That's not just to pastors or to healing evangelists or to apostles or whoever. Anyone who believes can lay their hands on the sick and see them healed. That's, now you've got to decide, do I believe that or not? <laughs> it's up to you. Next one, resurrection of the dead. Let me go through this quickly. None of us will escape the day of our death. Hebrews 9.27 says, Just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. Death and judgment is something that's two appointments in your diary you can't rub out. <laughs> we don't, and we don't know when they are. <laughs> they're like an invisible appointment, but they're there. <laughs> Every single one of us will have to face death at some stage in our life. See, Jesus doesn't save us from death. He saves us out of death. We will die. He's not going to stop us dying unless you are Elijah or Enoch. <laughs> the only two people in the Bible that I can find who never experienced death. They were snatched up. They were taken. <laughs> Lost my place. This is part of the hope of our salvation. You see, it's not just, well, I got saved 28 years ago. Praise the Lord. No. My salvation is still working in my life and still there's something in the future. I'm still hoping and trusting and believing that when I die, I will be raised again. It's, it's part of my faith. It's part of something I believe in. It's part of something I'm convinced in. That's why I'm not afraid to face death. I remember a guy going into uh, to minister into Africa, a, a preacher that I know personally, and uh, he was held at gunpoint by some military guys because there was a civil war going on in the nation. They did, they thought he was a spy, and so they basically had him with a gun to his head and uh, questioning him. And the thing that hit these guys is that he didn't have fear. He wasn't afraid to die. And when they asked him. Why aren't you afraid of dying? He said, you can't scare me with heaven. <laughs> you see, that's the, that's the hope that we live in. Yes, we're going to die, but we're going to get resurrected. 
When Jesus returns, some Christians who are still alive at the time will be taken, like Elijah and Enoch, they'll be snatched up. But if we have passed away before that time, it says the dead in Christ will be raised out of their graves to meet Jesus in the air. First the dead and then the living in Christ will be caught up, and the word is raptured. That's where we get the word rapture from. It means to be snatched up. It means when Jesus returns, he's going to snatch all the people who are his and who are alive after he has raised all the Christians who are, who are dead. 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 to 17, it says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with a voice of an archangel and with a trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up, raptured, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then we will be with the Lord forever. How amazing is that day going to be, huh? And there, where we meet the Lord in the air, we're going to receive resurrected bodies, amazing bodies. You see, Jesus' salvation that he gives us is not just to save your soul. We kind of think, hey, my body's not that important. No, he's, he's going to save your body as well. You're going to get this incredible resurrected body. <laughs> and these bodies are going to be glorious, incorruptible, the Bible says, powerful, immortal, honorable, victorious. And when you look at death, I know I'm talking a lot about death here. It's not a topic we like to talk about. But just think about it for a bit. Death isn't a victory. Death is a defeat. We go down into the grave and all the organs are shutting down and the body is just failing. That's death. We die in defeat, in dishonor, but we are raised in power, raised in victory, raised in glory. No more sickness. No more corruption. Incorruptible bodies. No more mortality. Immortal bodies. That's what the Bible says we're going to receive. We kind of think immortality. No, no, that can't be right. That's like, that's movies. That's superhero stuff. The Bible says your body will be immortal. You will never, ever, 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 ever face death again. No matter what, you will have a body that cannot be destroyed. And it'll be glorious. It'll be beyond description. I'm pretty excited about that. <laughs> I'm really excited about that. And then lastly, eternal judgment. Every person will face death and every person will face eternal judgment. There is no escaping that, Christian or non-Christian. But the salvation that Jesus won for us goes beyond the realm of time and is effective even when it comes to eternity. And so there is a difference between Christians and non-Christians as what happens with eternal judgment. <clears throat> Born-again believers experience a different judgment to everyone else. 
And what we experience is called the judgment seat of Christ. And it is not a judgment for condemnation. It is a judgment for reward. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. And this is to the church, to believers. It's not to unbelievers. It says, For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. But it is not a judgment which is for condemnation. Because the Bible says there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Amen. There will also be a judgment of all the Gentile nations. That's all non-Jewish nations. And it is based on how they treat Israel. How they, whether they persecuted the Jews, whether they divided up the promised land. And right now, there's nations all around the world trying to take chunks of it, trying to divide it up. There's going to be a judgment coming. Because God said, that land, I created the whole earth, and I can give whatever piece of land to whoever I want. And he's given that land to the Jewish people. No one has a claim on that land. No one else. And God is, when he comes back, he, there is going to be a judgment based just on that fact. How did you deal with the land that I gave my people, the Jews? <laughs> and finally, there will be one last judgment. And that is for all the remaining dead, which is after the Christians have been judged, all the remaining dead will be judged. And I'll just read this passage for you and I'll let it speak for itself. I'm not going to comment on it because it's pretty clear. Revelation chapter 20, and I'm ending with this. Verse 11 to 15. Revelation 20, verse 11 to 15. It says, And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had all done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead. And all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. Everyone will face one death. Some people will face two deaths. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Wow. I won't comment on that. You can just read it for yourself. It's pretty self-explanatory. I believe every word. I don't believe any of that. There's some kind of moral story to help us to keep on track. I believe it will happen exactly how it's written in Scripture. And this is the foundation of Christ in our lives. This is the journey that we get to take with Jesus from repenting all the way through to being saved, to being filled, to being empowered, to ministering, to fulfilling the Great Commission, to dying, resurrection, receiving new bodies, and living in eternity after judgment forever and ever with the Lord. The salvation and the foundation of Christ covers it all. 
It's not like, oh, we've got no more need for this foundation anymore. Kind of graduated. No, the foundation stretches beyond time into eternity. And the wonderful thing is that Jesus will not forget us, no matter what we go through. Even when we die, we're lying in the grave. He's not going to forget us. Our brother, our king, our high priest, our savior, he's already walked this journey. That's the wonderful thing. Jesus has already done the journey. So we can trust him. We can have confidence that he knows what he's doing, that he's going to take us through exactly the same. It's not like, oh, I'm coming up to this next thing, and man, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't think Jesus went here. I'm going to have to face this without him. No, he's done the whole journey. He's died. He was buried. He was resurrected. He's the first fruits. The Bible says he's our forerunner. And all he says to us is, follow me one step after the other. That's all it takes to live the Christian life. It's not about, oh, I'm here and I want to be 10 Ks down the road. Just take a step and follow the Lord. Walk with him. But follow him. Don't tell him to follow you. <laughs> Don't come to him and say, hey, Lord, I've got this, you know, this business. I want you to bless me. No. Do you want me to have this business? Do you want me to do this? Do you want me to talk to that person? Do you want me to do this ministry? Do you want me to whatever? Come before the Lord and follow him every day. It's so simple. It's just day by day by day. And if we have this foundation that's strong in our lives, we're going to get through anything. Even if they lock us down again this year. Even if they lock us down worse. <laughs> Even if they ban church meetings. We will be okay because we are standing on the solid rock, the bedrock of Jesus. Not some shifting, sinking sand, one day up, one day down. The solid foundation of Christ. Is it laid in your life? Is it strong in your life? I just want to end by just praying. Maybe we can stand. Wherever you're at. God wants to touch you. Maybe there's a part of this foundation you realize, hey, you know what? I just put the brakes on. I just said no to God. I said, no, I'm not prepared to do that. I don't want to minister. I don't want to lay hands on the sick. I don't want to look like a fool. I don't want to take a, a risk. Maybe come before the Lord and say, God, I want to do things differently. I do want to step out in faith. I want to take a risk. I don't mind looking like a fool. If I see a sick person, I'm going to lay my hands on them. I'm going to trust you that you're going to work through me. Maybe you haven't been baptized in water. You realize God's speaking to you today. and He's saying you need to be baptized. No matter how young or how old you are, you need to be baptized. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're scared. You don't need to be. The Holy Spirit's God. He's good. <laughs> He's wonderful. Let's, let's come before the Lord right now. Let's let the Lord speak to us. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that uh, you are speaking with us right now. You are ministering to us. Lord, when it comes to the foundation of Christ, it is such a strong foundation. And yet in some of us, there's areas that are maybe weak or missing. Lord, we want that strengthened. 
We want to walk in all the fullness that you have for us. And I pray that if there's any of us here this morning that you put a finger on us and said that there, you put the brakes on. You said no to God. I pray there'd be a, a turning to you, a repenting, and just a yielding and a surrendering. Saying, God, okay, I'm going to let your will be done, not mine. Let your will be done in my life. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come now. You just fill people. Fill them to overflowing. I pray, Lord, that there'd be revelation that takes place. Open our eyes to see you in a new light, to see your word in a way that we've never seen it before. I pray that if there's any people here that are fearing death, that you would take away that fear, that there would be a faith that, that we know, that we know, that we know that you will raise us from the grave, that you will give us a resurrected body, that we will be raised in victory and not in defeat. Oh Lord, put that assurance in us now. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. You've been listening to the New Gen Sermon Podcast. 